0: and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship at Faith Community United Methodist on this Palm Sunday. It's good to see so many of you here worshiping together this morning. I'm sure that there are others worshiping with us online, and I welcome you as well and pray that this service will be a blessing to all of us. Those of you who are here in the sanctuary, I invite you to fill out the attendance pads and pass them along to the other, others that are in the pews next to you this morning. A reminder that this morning is Coins for Missions Sunday. The blue buckets are out in the narthex. So if you uh, walked in here into the sanctuary and you still have your coins in your pockets or in your purses, then I would uh, encourage you to drop those into the blue buckets when you leave the sanctuary this morning to support a variety of uh, missions that we support through this church. This, of course, is Holy Week, and uh, this Thursday we will have a special worship service for Monday Thursday here in the sanctuary at 7 o'clock. The choir will be singing. We'll have the sacrament of Holy Communion. I hope that you can join us at 7 o'clock this Thursday evening for Monday Thursday. There are a number of other uh, announcements in your bulletin insert. I'd encourage you to take this uh, home with you and uh, keep it throughout the week. Keep coming back to it to remind yourself of the things that are going on here at the church we come into God's presence this morning to offer our praise to the Lord. And I invite you to be in that spirit, stand as you are able, join together in the call to worship.
1: Morning after morning, God grants us a new day. Wake up to the joys and challenges life presents. This is the day that God has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God equips us to face whatever the day may hold. Watch and listen as God offers to teach us. We gather seeking a blessing in the name of God. We come thanking God for the gift of salvation. See the gates of righteousness thrown open for us. Enter to praise God's marvelous works. God stands while love endures forever. Blessed in the one who comes in God's name. Our opening hymn this morning is Hosanna, loud Hosanna, which is number 278 in the hymnal. may be seated, and if you would join with me our opening prayer as printed in the bulletin. We stand together, mighty God, for you have sustained us through weary days and anguished nights. We join the shouts of welcome. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is a day of celebration. There is joy in the air. We have witnessed the transforming power of Jesus compassion but there are ominous overtones. there are voices that say peace is a mirage and love will not endure. We cling to our faith that your steadfast love embraces life and death that we are surrounded by and upheld by your goodness meet us here we pray amen
0: we have the joy this morning of welcoming some new members into our fellowship and i'm going to invite those who are joining this morning to come join me up here at the front if you would Uh, line up right across the front there. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> we have uh, Juliana Wickline who is uh, joining. She's been here for several years now and uh, is uh, finally joining and uh, we welcome her. We have uh, Victor and Melva Hess who uh, are former members and returning members and we're actually uh, married here at, at Faith Community and uh, have moved around the country, most recently coming back from Louisiana and transferring their membership back to Faith Community, and we welcome them. We have uh, Joan Baxter and uh, Sharon Baxter and Linda Baxter, and uh, they are transferring their membership from uh, Richland Crumley United Methodists and have uh, been with us quite a bit and, and active in a number of the ministries here over the years, and so we welcome them into membership as well. Uh, Before uh, joining the membership of a a local church, we become members of the universal church through the sacrament of baptism, and so I'm going to ask you uh, to reaffirm the commitment that was made uh, for you or by you at the time of your baptism, and so on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin, if so say I do? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, say I do. Do Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord, in union with the church church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? If so, say "I I do. And according to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church? and serve as Christ's representatives in the world. If so, say, I will. will. Having been baptized into the universal church and affirming your faith in Jesus Christ... You are joining a local church, which is part of of the global United Methodist Church, and so I uh, would invite you, as as members of Christ's Universal Church, will you commit to being loyal to the United Methodist Church and do all in your powers to strengthen its ministries? If so, say I will. And as members of this congregation, Faith Community United Methodists, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? If so, say I will members of the household of God, I commend these persons to your love and care. As members of this congregation, do all in your power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love. Will you join me in the response that is printed in your bulletin as we welcome them? We give thanks for all that God has already given you, and we welcome you in Christian love. As members together with you in the body of Christ, and in faith community, United Methodists, we renew our covenant faithfully to participate in the ministries of the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Will you join me in welcoming them? Before you go to your seats, I have, a, I have certificates up here that I forgot to grab. Let me get these. And uh, <laughs> there you go. And there will be uh, refreshments out in the narthex if you uh, just uh, stop by and, and greet them following the church as well as we welcome them into membership. I invite you now to join with me in our our prayer hymn, which is number 176 in the hymnal, Majesty, Worship His Majesty. Let us sing together. Just bow in prayer. Oh Lord, we do come before you this morning to worship you in majesty for your glory. All honor and praise be unto you, O oh Lord, our Savior, our Lord, our Creator, our Redeemer. You are all things to us, Lord, and we offer ourselves back to you in praise for all that you have given, for all that you are. We praise you this morning on this Palm Sunday, along with the crowds that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna. Hosanna, save us, Lord, for you are our Savior. You are our only hope in this world and in the next. Lord, so many challenges come upon us. We are faced with Illness and and struggle and divisions and judgments and condemnation from this world, Lord, but you overcome it all. You redeem it all. And so we trust in you. We trust in your word upon us, for you have called us your beloved children, and we rest in that grace. We rest in that love, that claim you have placed upon us. We pray that we will be your faithful servants in this community of faith, in our homes, in our workplaces, with our friends, that in all times, in all places, we might witness to your glory through our lives. Lord, strengthen the ministries of this congregation as we seek to serve you together, as we seek to minister to this community around us, to meet their needs so that they will know that there is a community of love and grace, that they will know that there is a God of power and love. Lord, work not just through us, but through your church around the world until all come to know the truth of the gospel when all knees shall bow and all tongues confess that Jesus is Lord. We pray this in your precious and holy name as we offer now the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We continue to worship God through the giving of our tithes and offerings as the ushers come to wait upon us. Please join me in the prayer of dedication grateful for your grace that is new every morning and thankful that the gates of righteousness are open to us we bring our gifts to your altar O god we dedicate our offerings and ourselves that the reign of jesus christ may be realized and celebrated wherever christians gather to worship and everywhere we scatter to serve. May every knee bow at the name of Jesus and every tongue confess that Christ is the world's salvation. May the needs of all your children be addressed by those who confess Jesus Christ. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel.
1: The gospel lesson this morning comes from Luke, chapter 19, 28 through 40. It's Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, go into the village ahead of you and as you enter it you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden untie it and bring it here if anyone asks you why are you untying it just say this the lord needs it so that who were sent depart so those who were sent departed and found it just as he had told them As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all of the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees and the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. The word of God for the people of God.
0: Thanks be to God.
1: Please, Please be seated.
0: Thank you. you, ringers. I I can't even imagine how much work goes into putting that together. And we are so blessed to have you blessing us in worship this morning. Somewhere around about 15 years ago, I got to see a, a Broadway production of Jesus Christ Superstar. That wasn't the first time I had seen it. I, I had seen it before on stage, but There was something special about that particular production. Ted Neely was playing the role of Jesus. Ted Neely is the actor who played Jesus in the 1973 movie version of Jesus Christ Superstar. And he had played the role on Broadway and on tours any number of times over the years. And in the mid-2000s, he came back for one last farewell tour, playing the role that had made him so famous 40 years earlier. I have to say it was cool to see Ted Neely in that role, but I, I was a little bit disappointed in the production. I mean, I, the, the staging was amazing. The, the music w- was wonderful, as always. But something about the show wasn't right. It could be that having a 63 year- old actor playing Jesus just wasn't believable. I don't think it was his age, though. It had more to do with the manner in which he portrayed Jesus. There was something about the way that he just glided across the stage throughout the performance with this aura of superiority. He he seemed almost pompous about it. I began to wonder if Ted Neely had been playing Jesus for so long that he was beginning to think he actually was Jesus. The thing is, I have a hard time imagining Jesus himself acting that way. Jesus was not pompous, he was humble and welcoming. Jesus did not exude an aura of superiority, but one of servanthood. Except, except in this scene of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, in this gospel scene that we have come to know as the defining moment of Palm Sunday, Jesus does act like that. People are fawning all over him they're shouting his praises they're placing him on a donkey and throwing down their cloaks and palm branches in the road it's the the first century version of rolling out the red carpet they're they're letting everyone know that this jesus is a big deal and jesus is eating up every moment of it it seems so uncharacteristic of him this triumphal entry into jerusalem ordinarily so tender, meek, and mild, never wanting to draw attention to himself, but always pointing to his Father in heaven, normally so humble and low-key that the mere thought of a parade in his honor would have horrified him. But here is Jesus as the ringleader, grandmaster of the parade. He lined it all up himself. He told his disciples where to find the donkey and what to say to get it. He planned out the parade route. He welcomed the cries of the adoring crowds. The Pharisees saw how unseemly this all was, and they told him to order the crowd to stop it. But Jesus refused. He refused to put a stop to it. This was his moment, and no one was going to stop it. I tell you, he said, if these people were silent, the stones would shout out in their place. In case you aren't familiar with the gospel stories leading up to this episode, let me tell you, it hasn't always been this way. Jesus has not been seeking a bunch of attention for himself. He hasn't sought to be the star of the show. Superstars usually seek attention at every opportunity, but Jesus oftentimes shunned it, retreating from the crowds. Jesus began his ministry by calling just a few followers to go with him, just a handful. But when people saw the great power he had and heard the wonderful things he was saying, crowds began forming around him everywhere he went. Jesus would often go the other way. He'd retreat up a mountain to have some quiet time of prayer. He and his disciples went across the Sea of Galilee at one point to get away from the crowds. And what happened? The crowds followed him across the sea and there were more crowds on the other side. It seems that all along, everywhere he's gone, interest in Jesus has been building, and all along, everywhere he's gone, Jesus has tried to downplay it. One of the most peculiar ways in in which he did that was that every time he performed a miracle, he would tell people, the ones that he healed, don't tell anyone. When Peter proclaimed his belief that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus said, don't tell anyone. In fact, the Bible says he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone. Jesus, it seems, wanted to keep his identity a secret. Bible scholars refer to this as the messianic secrets, the fact that Jesus continually attempted to keep his identity as the the Messiah from getting out. Numerous theories are put forward as to why Jesus didn't want people spreading the news that he was the Messiah. I think the most convincing answer is that Jesus knew people weren't ready to know who he was. The Jewish people at that time had a very specific idea about who the Messiah was supposed to be, what the Messiah was expected to do. In the Jewish mindset of the day, being the Messiah didn't have anything to do with being divine. That entire concept would have been blasphemous to them. Being the Messiah also had nothing to do with suffering for the sins of the people, There were Old Testament prophecies that spoke of a suffering servant, but no one imagined that the Messiah would be that suffering servant. The Messiah was supposed to be the complete opposite of the suffering servant. The Messiah was the one who was going to ride into Jerusalem and raise up an army of righteous warriors who would overthrow the foreign powers. The Messiah would become king in Jerusalem along the lines of King David. He would reign over a peaceful and a free Jewish nation. That was not at all what Jesus was about. But for someone living in the Jewish world of the first century, that is exactly what they expected when they talked about the Messiah. This is exactly what they would have expected of Jesus if they believed him to be the Messiah. So if Jesus, early on in his ministry, allowed the word to get out, well, you can see what would have happened. He would have been followed not by the meek and the lowly, not by crippled, humble, the truly oppressed. No, he would have been followed by the power-hungry wannabe rulers ready to go to war against the Romans and set up their earthly kingdom. Rather than preaching to crowds who listened to him teach about turning the other cheek and forgiving your enemies, his words would have been drowned out by those clamoring for battle and calling on Jesus to lead the charge. And as soon as they realized that This wasn't what Jesus was about. The crowds would have been disheartened and jaded. Some would have left. Others would have turned on him, sabotaging his ministry. Now, you might be asking, but isn't that exactly what happened? Didn't his disciples fight over position and power? Didn't one of his own betray him to the authorities? Didn't the crowds turn against him as soon as he was arrested? Yes. That is exactly what happened. And it's exactly what Jesus knew would happen, which was why he had to wait until the time was right for it to happen. Peter said, you are the Messiah. And Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone. The disciples knew Jesus was the Messiah, and yet they had no clue what that really meant. And so Jesus told them they had to keep it a secret until the time was right. With the story of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, all of that changes. The time is now at hand. All of the imagery in this story is intended to point directly to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, riding into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, the donkey the path covered in palm branches, the proclamation of the crowds, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. All of these are in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah. The secret that Jesus had been trying to keep under wraps all along is finally being revealed for all of the city and all of the world to see. Jesus is the Messiah, is being proclaimed for all to hear, and Jesus himself is leading the charge. Because the time is right. Does that mean that the crowd finally understood what it meant to call Jesus Messiah? No, not at all. They didn't have the first clue what was going to take place in the days ahead. They had no idea that Jesus was coming, not just as Messiah, but as the suffering servant. The crowds were still expecting that that great military leader who would go to war against the occupying powers and usher in the new independent kingdom, and they thought that Jesus was that king. But this time, this time Jesus wasn't stopping them. He wasn't telling them to be quiet. He wasn't trying to keep it a secret anymore. In fact, he was egging them on. He knew what confrontation would happen, when word began to get out and he knew that the time was now right for that to happen jesus knew the events of the coming week that they were going to redefine for everyone what it meant to be messiah what kind of deliverance he was bringing And so when the Pharisees tried to quiet down the crowds and kill the parade, Jesus said, if these were silent, even the stones would shout out. The time was at hand. Jesus was ready to welcome their shouts of praise. That phrase of Jesus, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. That can be taken in a couple of ways. For one thing, it calls to mind verses of Scripture such as, psalm 19 verse 1 the heavens are telling the glory of god and the firmament proclaims his handiwork throughout the old testament there is this idea that creation itself testifies to the god who brought it into being what person of faith hasn't been brought to awe and praise of the creator by the beauty of a sunset or a breathtaking vista, a rainbow reminding us of the promises of God, a nighttime sky on a clear night when you can see millions of stars and planets all held in their place. And when you learn more about science, biology, and physics, it only becomes all the more mind-boggling and awe-inspiring, the intricate ways in which each body and all of nature is all bound together, the precise mathematics required for matter to even exist, the fact that there is anything rather than nothing, and that there isn't just anything or something, but that there is life and intelligence and love and beauty, all of it proclaims the glory of God who brought it all into existence by his word and holds it all together by his love. This theme is taken up in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. In Romans 1, writing about those who suppress the truth of God, Paul writes, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. Nobody in this world is without a revelation from God. Creation itself is a revelation of God. If these people are silent, even the stones will shout out. The book of Genesis tells us that creation was brought forth by the word of God. The Gospel of John tells us Jesus himself is that Word of God through whom all things came into being. Therefore, all of creation, even the stones, proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. But there is even more than just the God of creation in this phrase of Jesus. There is also the God of Covenant. God has not just brought creation into being and held creation in continual existence. God has also called a part of his creation into a special covenant relationship with himself. The God of creation is also a God of covenants. And the covenant in question here is the covenant with Abraham. The Lord told Abraham to look up into the night sky and to count the stars. And then he said, so shall your descendants be. The Lord told Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God gave circumcision as a sign of that covenant, a sign of a covenant that was then passed on to Isaac and to Jacob and to their descendants on down through the centuries. To be a descendant of Abraham through the line of Isaac and Jacob was to be a child of the covenant. It was that relationship, that bloodline going all the way back to Abraham that the Jewish people trusted him for their special covenant relationship with God. But listen to what John the Baptist said said about that in Luke 3, verse 8. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Isn't that interesting? God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Your bloodline means nothing when it comes to God. Having a special covenant relationship with God comes from God's grace alone. If, if you are not living in faith, if you are relying on anything but grace, then you are not a child of the promise. And even if all of the people in the world were to forsake that covenant, even if all of the children of Israel were were to turn away from God's grace, even if every Christian gave up on their faith, God's Word would not return empty. God's promises would not be undone. God would raise up from the stones, children of Abraham. He raised up people from the dust of the ground in the first place. Why not? God will accomplish all that He said He would accomplish. God's covenant will be fulfilled, even if He has to raise up stones to do it. That, too, is what Jesus meant when he said, if these people were silent, the stones would shout out. The truth of God and what God has accomplished through Jesus, it is going to be proclaimed. It is going to be proclaimed until the end of this world. If we stop proclaiming it, then God will raise up others who will. Don't let the stones testify to Jesus in your place. God has called you to a special relationship with Himself. Through Jesus Christ, God has made you a child of Abraham, an heir to the promise. And that wasn't based on anything that you did. A stone can't do anything to earn God's favor. Your special covenant relationship with God is a result of nothing but God's grace, His love for you. His choice to claim you as his own, to raise you up, to make you his child through his son, Jesus Christ. Aren't you going to tell somebody about that? Aren't you going to shout out his praise? Oh, but the Pharisees might not like that. The Pharisees might say, be quiet, we don't do that in this church. I don't care about the Pharisees around here. I care about Jesus. Don't you care about Jesus? Don't let the stones take your place. I care about Jesus and what He has done for me. How He reached out to a miserable sinner who was lost and alone and said, You're mine. I love you and I am with you. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to clean you off. I'm going to carry you through life and I'm going to bring you to glory with me forever. That. That that is what the crowds didn't understand yet. I I hope and I pray that, that we understand it now. Verse 37 says, The whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen. They were praising him, not because of what Jesus would do later in that week. They didn't even know what Jesus would do later in that week. They were praising because of the miracles. They had seen his miraculous power and they thought that he was going to save them in a worldly sense, save them from the Romans and from unrighteous rulers. Over the course of the next week, they would see something that they couldn't have imagined when they first cheered Jesus on during that parade. They would see him arrested, they would see him convicted. They would see him mocked, they would see him spit upon and derided, and finally they would see him crucified. And though they couldn't imagine it at the time, that crucifixion, that crucifixion would give them even more reason to praise, because that crucifixion would lead to an even greater, more secure, more eternal deliverance than they had even known was possible. Pretty soon they would be praising Jesus not just for his deeds of power, not not just for the miracles he performed on their behalf. Those are wonderful things. They, They are reason to praise indeed. When we see someone delivered in a worldly manner and we know that it's the power of God in Jesus Christ that did it for them, we should praise God for that. But that is not the ultimate reason for praising Jesus because that is not the ultimate form of deliverance. Pretty soon, the people would be praising Jesus, not just for his miraculous deeds of power, but for his act of perfect, sacrificial love poured out in his blood on the cross. The fact that Jesus, in that moment of torment and pain, Jesus gave up any claim he had to any power, any right he had to forgo that treatment, and he had every right to forgo that torture. But he went through it. Not just the torment, not just the pain, he went through even death itself as the ultimate act of love. Love. So that we, So that you and me could be saved. Not just just in this life, not just in this world, but forever. So that we could live not in a kingdom of this world, but in the kingdom of God. You need to tell somebody about that. You need to share that so that someone else can know that same love of God, that same hope for eternity. That is why Jesus welcomed the parade that day. So that the word would spread. So, so that... And, and that would be the reason for everything that we do as a church. To spread the word of Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Lord. In Jesus, there is life. Thanks be to God for claiming us and calling us in Jesus Christ. Our closing hymn is number 280 in the hymnals. We're going to be singing verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. I invite you to stand as you are able and join together in singing all glory, laud, and honor. Hosanna to the King of David. Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. Go now in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.